The scripture reading from today is from Luke 11, verse 1 through 4. This is the word of the Lord. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us how we should pray. Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. Give us each day the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and don't let us yield to temptation. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you would teach us to pray. Father, we, um, we know that your word is bread and living water. And Lord, we ask that it would be our food, Lord, this morning. Open our hearts that we may have your understanding. In your name, amen. Well, welcome, church family. For those of you joining us for the first time, welcome. Welcome to those of you online. My name's Andy Wong. I'm a member of the campus leadership team. I lead a few small groups, uh, including the Thursday night men's group and the EDGE which is for people who like games and Comic-Con. I'm an ophthalmologist, and I'm also a writer with a particular interest in speculative fiction. So naturally, I love stories, and I'd like to tell you one. Arrival is a science fiction movie from 2016. Now, in this story, 12 alien ships land over various locations around the world. The affected nations send military and scientific experts to investigate these ships. The U.S. sends a linguist and a scientific and a physicist, Dr. Donnelly, to study the ship that's landed in Montana. And on board, Dr. Banks and Dr. Donnelly make contact with two aliens who seem interested in communicating with the humans. Now, the aliens have a complex written language, which utilize circular symbols. Banks and Donnelly start associating words with these symbols, and finally gather enough phrases to ask the question, why have you come here? Now the alien's answer is cryptic and could be interpreted as offer a weapon or offer tool. And in the end, we find that this weapon or tool is the alien language. And to learn it gives humans supernatural power. Now the parallel between this story and the Lord's Prayer is that both are about communication and particularly the interaction between unequal beings. And of course, when we pray to God, we interact with the highest being. This is the God of wonders, the one who was and is and is to come, the God who created the fabric of reality of whom it is written, he lives in light. He lives, uh, sorry, he lives in light. so brilliant that no human can approach him. No human eye has ever seen him, nor ever will. So what can mere mortals say to the omniscient, omnipotent God? How can we possibly relate to such a being? Here's what Jesus says in verse 2. He opens with the word Abba. It means Father. Now this is significant because in the Old Testament, the most common title for God is Yahweh, or Lord. So in using the word Abba, Jesus reveals an intimacy and familiarity that he has with God the Father. It's a relationship that we can understand. We all have earthly fathers. We understand the concept of family. From the very first word, Jesus shows us the kingdom of God is a family and that true prayer involves a right relationship with the living God. It starts with being a child of God. 
Now, I got my bachelor's degree from the University of Illinois, and I had an interesting set of roommates. Uh, we were all pre-med. Uh, one of them was Hindu, one of them was Muslim, another was culturally Christian. I started up a Bible study with these guys with the idea of looking at what Jesus really said instead of the stereotypes and pop culture references that we've all grown up with. And we had some good discussions, and one of the questions that came up with, aren't all religions the same? Can't I have a relationship with God without faith in Christ? Now, to bring this into context of the Lord's Prayer, it's true. You don't have to be a Christ follower to pray. In fact, there are millions of people who pray every day, just not to God the Father. My roommates would say, doesn't matter. Isn't it the thought that counts? Aren't we all praying to the same God just in different ways? Maybe this one's Muslim. Maybe this one's Buddhist. This one calls out to his ancestors. But they're all praying, will God not hear? Now, on the surface, it seems like a reasonable statement, but if we delve into what the world religions are really about, we find that they are all very different from each other. And in particular, their, dif their definition of life, death, sin, salvation is different than what Jesus describes. Jesus is unique and exclusive in his claims that he can save you. Or as Peter preached in Acts 4, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, that is a mutually exclusive statement. If Jesus is right, then logically, all the other gods and all the other religions are false. Jesus stands apart from the religions of the world because it's a relationship he offers and that's how you connect to God. The world religions say you become right with God or attain a higher consciousness by doing good works. You pray five times a day. You build up good karma. You try to be a good person. But Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We can't accept Christ and say there's another way, there's another truth. There's another life apart from Jesus. Now, does that make us non-inclusive and arrogant to believe that? Now, if you follow Christ's example, not at all. The gospel provides no room for arrogance or Christian cliques. The issue is truth. If we know Christ is the way, how do we respond in a world that denies truth or says Christ is a way but not the only way? Let me give you a close-to-home illustration. A few blocks away, there are two ramps for the westbound lanes of I-94. They're right next to each other. They look very similar. One's an on-ramp, one's an off-ramp. If I go on the correct ramp, I'm safe. If I choose the wrong ramp, I'll end up going the wrong way and cause death and destruction. It's the same with salvation. There is a right and a wrong way. If we consider what Jesus says about himself, C.S. Lewis has written that there are only three conclusions we can make, that he is a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. Loving someone means speaking the truth, even if it's met with hostility or indifference. If Christ is Lord in our lives, we know the right way to go, but it's important to earn the right 
to be heard. Now, I was able to speak about Christ with my roommates because I listened to their stories and asked them questions about their faith. We are to speak the truth with gentleness and love because it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. So to summarize, Jesus' first word in his prayer shows we need to be in God's family, and that's the first priority. Now, the rest of the Lord's Prayer, verse 3 and verse 4, extend the idea of being right with God in the context of our daily needs and in our relationship with others. Now, these verses can lead to a couple of questions like, why do we ask God for bread if we bought it at Meyer? As Pastor Chad talked about last week, it's about having a heart of thankfulness. It shows humility. Because what's the opposite of being thankful? Entitlement, self-sufficiency, independence, pride. We don't thank the ATM for giving us cash because we're the ones who put it there. But who created the DNA molecule which gives us the mind, the body, the breath to do our daily work? Who created time and gave each of us a little bit of it? Jesus teaches us to be humble in prayer. When we pray, we ask God to give us our daily need. He's the one sustaining us, keeping us alive. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. When we ask God for our daily bread, it's also saying, I trust you. I trust you with the regular things of my life, all the normal things. And as you are faithful with the small things, you will be faithful with the big things in life as well. Verse 4 says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Now, if I'm a Christ follower, why do I need to keep asking for forgiveness when my sins were forgiven when I first accepted Christ? Well, there's the concept of justification, where we are forgiven once and for all, and sanctification, which is an ongoing refinement. Now, there's a story that illustrates this well. It's from the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, book three of the Chronicles of Narnia. is written by C.S. Lewis. And you have this character introduced in the beginning. His name's Eustace Scrub, and he's arrogant, and he's self-centered, and these traits, these traits lead him into a situation where he's turned into a dragon. And he tries to undragonize himself by scraping off some, cells, some scales. Um, it doesn't work. The Jesus character, whose name is Aslan, has to get in there and basically tear Eustace apart. And it works, and Eustace is turned back into a boy. And at the end of that segment, C.S. Lewis writes this, It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice the cure had begun. So sanctification is Eustace becoming a different boy. In the same way, we grow into the likeness of Christ over time. As Rich Mullins has written, I may falter in my steps, but never beyond your reach. That's why we keep asking for forgiveness. Now, going back to the original illustration, learning the alien language gave the humans supernatural power. Through prayer, we engage in spiritual warfare. We're called prayer warriors, right? There are two scriptures described, um, described in the Lord's Prayer. One's in Matthew 6, the other's in Luke 4, as we've looked at. At the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So in Matthew 6, we see the correlation of prayer and spiritual warfare. There are other New Testament references. Um, 
Jesus says demons can't be removed except by prayer, some, some demons. Prayers including Ephesians 6, along with the armor of God and the sword of the Spirit. We see feet, uh, prayer featured in stories like The War Room, This Present Darkness, and The Screwtape Letters. It would be pure speculation to describe how prayer works in spiritual warfare, which is why I'm going to try. So perhaps prayer does something practical. Like when you pray, maybe all these angel warriors get their canteens filled with living water, and that gives them a boost in battle. Or maybe your guardian angel gets an extra MRE, manna, ready to eat, which fuels their spirit. But what I suspect is that when we pray daily, fervently, and in agreement with other believers, an angelic version of your favorite superhero shows up to fight for you. And for me, that'd be Wolverine. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the great God. We worship you, O Lord. This is all for you. Lord, thank you that you provide for us each day. You are the great provider. Lord, you give us a sustenance. You give us our breath. You allowed us to get up this morning, Father. You, you have hung the stars in the sky. The sun rises, Lord, and it's a beautiful day, Lord, because of you. Lord, thank you. Lord, let us be people of prayer, ones committed to prayer, ones that that reach out for ourselves, for our families, our community, Lord. Father, teach us how to pray in your name. Right now, we're going to enter into a short time of prayer, uh, a prayer prompt that's based on uh, some of those things we talked about. And after that, Noah's going to come and speak in the second part of this talk.
to die on a cross. And um, Lord, we just pray through this series that we continue to draw closer to you. And um, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Noah. Um, I've been attending here about four years with my family, and I currently lead three of the groups that we have here. I lead a Saturday morning running group. I lead, yeah, there we go. I lead the, <laughs> the Monday evening prayer group, and I also lead the online hosting uh, teams. Um, this morning, we're going to piggyback off what Andy talked about, and we're going to look at the parable that Jesus shares with his disciples right after teaching them about the Lord's Prayer. So... In back in Luke uh, chapter 11, we're going to pick up in verse 5. Jesus says, Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, Don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. So I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened." You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Uh -oh. Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? As I was going through the parable, I had a little trouble distinguishing the characters, so I ended up giving them names. Um, the gentleman that goes knocking on the door asking for bread, I named him Nick. And the guy that was sleeping, I named him Sid, the sleeping guy. So as we kind of break down this parable, hopefully that'll help you guys to distinguish the two characters as well. Um, we know through this parable that Jesus wanted to teach more about prayer. But in order to understand um, really what he was saying, we need to travel back in time to first century Israel to kind of get a context for uh, what's happening when this parable takes place. So if you look up on the screen, there's going to be a picture of a first century Israeli household, and if you notice from the picture, it's a pretty small place. Um, within that very small building that may have had just one or two rooms, um, you would have um, Sid, the sleeping guy, his spouse. Uh, Sid's parents would be living there with them, and if they were still alive, the grandparents would also be in that small place. And of course, any kids that Sid and his wife may have would also be living in there. Um, and depending on the time of year, there may also be animals in the house if it was too cold for them to sleep outside. So you're talking several generations of people and animals all crammed into one room, basically sleeping together. So when Nick goes knocking on that door, he's well aware that he's going to be waking up everybody in that household, the animals, probably the neighbors next door because they just had, you know, wood doors. So if he's banging on the door, he's waking up um, everybody in the in the vicinity. Um, but Nick knew, as it was custom of that time, that if he had a traveler coming from far to uh, visit his house, he needed to provide something for this visitor. So he, he had this need to get this bread, and he knew that he had to do whatever it took to get that. So he was willing to, to wake up this household to do so. 
but even more um, shameful than not providing for Nick's guest, Sid knew that he had an obligation in that time to provide for for his friend, Nick. So um, Sid knew that he didn't have a choice, even though he was sleeping, even though he was in his pajamas and he had his kids to sleep, that he had to get up and provide for his friend, Nick. If we, as sinners, and spoil alert, that's all of us, we're all sinners. If we know to do the right thing, what more will God know what to do in situations like this? You see, God's not going to sit there and look at his watch at midnight or two in the morning and go, really, Noah's praying now of all times? You know, I want to get some sleep, or God's not going to say, my favorite TV show's on, I really can't be bothered at the moment. No, God doesn't, doesn't work that way. We never bother God with our problems. On the contrary, he perfectly assumes the role of this heavenly father that loves to take care of his kids. I believe that he finds joy helping us in those times of need, and he loves being able to show his love by being there for us, by listening to us, and by having that prayerful conversation with us. The point of the parable that Jesus is, is teaching on here is, is clear. We, as humans, are called to pray without ever giving up. If we look back at verse 9, um, Jesus says that in so many words. He says, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Some of you, myself included, may have been taught that we're supposed to pray just one time for something and that praying more than that would be a lack of faith because God hears us the first time, and if we keep praying, then we don't believe that he's going to follow through on, on his side of the deal. But that's, that's not correct teaching. You see, even Jesus, on the very night he was betrayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, went to the Father three times to pray to be delivered from what he was about to go through. Matthew 26:44 spells this out for us. It says, "So he, Jesus, went to pray a third time, saying these same things again." And there are plenty of other areas in scripture where the individuals pray multiple times for the same thing. If you were here for Pastor Brian Bennett's uh, sermon a few weeks ago, he spoke about the prophet Elijah and how Elijah at one point prayed seven times for for rain to fall on the on the country. What miracles might be right around the corner if we prayed just that one more time? We, as humans, can never see the full picture, and it may not be clear to us why God is or isn't giving us that certain thing that we're, we're praying for, but it's so important to note that even though we don't understand what God is doing, we have to remember that he is listening to and he hears what our needs are. In this scripture, Jesus almost brags about how great of a gift giver God the Father is. He's certainly not going to give us something harmful. On the contrary, he gives us great gifts like the Holy Spirit. The key, though, is prayer. We can never pray enough. We need to be shameless about it and be persistent. You see, we have nothing without God. Every single thing that we have, he has given us. All of our material possessions, food, shelter, you know, our health, the very air that we breathe, all these things come from God the Father. That little bit of time that Andy talked about 
That all comes from him. When um, my son's getting ready for bed at night, either my wife or I will sit down and, and pray with him um, just as he's getting ready for bed. We ask him to think about a few things that God has you know, given him in that day or just a few moments that were special to him. And sometimes he's really good at coming up with some answers and other times not so much. Um, there was one night not too long ago where he kind of threw himself into bed and I could tell there was something kind of bothering him. And he said, God has never given me anything that I've ever prayed for. He's never given me anything I ever wanted. And on that night, he was praying for a dragon. So I uh, don't know why he didn't get that. But um, he just, he had lost sight of all the things that God had given him. And I was able to show him the light after reminding him how long he'd been praying for a brother that he really needed to love in his heart. And God answered that need. There's a picture of the two up there. So ask yourself the question, what is prayer to me? Is it just an inconvenience to you? Does it feel like just a waste of time that you're never going to get back? Do you believe your prayers are heard, or do you believe they fall on deaf ears? What are your expectations when you pray, and what do you think God does with your requests? The answer is different from person to person, but the root of prayer should be the same for everyone. Prayer should provide a peace that only God can provide. It's knowing that God listens to everything you say, and he will take your words, your tears, your groans, your requests, whatever they may be to heart, that with God we are in good hands. This sense of peace from prayer became real to me back in 2005. If you know me at all, I, I love to travel, and um, that was the first chance that I got to leave the country and experience God's creation outside of the United States. I had just graduated college, and I was a, a baby Christian, and I didn't know it at the time, but God was calling me overseas to, to get to know him better. I, I'm a planner. I had planned out my entire trip, everywhere I wanted to go, everything I wanted to see, and I felt like I was all set to go. I jumped on the airplane and couldn't wait to see what was on the other side of the door when it opened in Dublin, Ireland. Well, I made it there without much difficulty, but... As I walked around, I, I just felt like something was missing. I felt lost and overwhelmed, and by the afternoon, I was so anxious that I went back to my $5 hostel room, like the one in this picture up here, and I crashed on that bed in the lower left corner, and I just remember just talking out loud and saying, I need to get back to the United States as fast as I can. I can't do this. This is so overwhelming, and... I just, I don't want to be here anymore. I was so far out of my comfort zone that I didn't know what to do. But God used that opportunity to, to talk to me. And I don't know how long I was in that bed just praying with God, but it just became very real in that moment that he was there for me and that he was going to provide for whatever my needs may be. Right as I said amen, three Australian guys came into the room and started talking to me. We hit it off. We ended up making dinner together that night and exploring the city for the next few days. And God just gave me a peace through those three guys that he does provide whatever we need. And throughout the rest of that trip, there were many instances where I didn't know where I was going to stay. I didn't know what I was going to eat. And God always provided what I needed. Not everyone's prayer experience is the same. That's my story. I'm sure yours is different, but God is always with us. 
Have you ever felt alone or out of control? God wants to hear your prayers too. He wants to meet every one of your needs. The important thing is that we take the time to invite God in through prayer. We need to be that person like Nick, knocking. Just as Nick knew his friend Sid would provide for his need, we know with absolute certainty that God will also provide for ours. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you're a God that listens, you're a God that hears, and that you're a God that is so close to us that you're willing to act. Andy spoke about gods of different religions that even though they're not real, they're just so far away from the people that, uh, that worship them, but you are just so different from those, from those other non-existent gods. And Lord, we're thankful that that's the kind of God that you are. And Lord, we just, we just pray that we can continue to draw closer to you through, through prayer. And um, Lord, we thank you for all that you do.